Welcome to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and on today's episode, we sat down virtually via Zoom with Jason Kelly. Jason is the Executive Vice President at Moran Shipping Agencies, which is the largest independent steamship agency in North America. Jason's worked with Moran in a variety of roles since 1994 and has evolved into a leading voice in the global maritime community. In addition to his role at Moran Shipping, Jason is also the co-founder and board chair of Sea Ahead, a blue tech innovation organization that works with startups and entrepreneurs in the ocean economy. Jason's a vocal champion for the idea of the global blue economy, so we're obviously very excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Jason. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Um, after you know working with you for a year at Sea Ahead, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of where you're coming from. But um, can you give a little bit of a backstory about how you got into the shipping business? what your journey has been like and why you're so passionate about the blue economy? Sure. Well, I've always been passionate about the ocean, uh, growing up in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And my mom's brother uh, uh, owns a uh, national shipping company. And he was interested in, in me coming aboard and I, I wasn't sure how I was going to like it. I kind of forged my own path after college. And in my late twenties, I, I joined the family company um, in Houston, Texas, I moved down, and uh, last year I, I just celebrated my 25th year, and it's been it's been terrific, a wonderful experience. I think uh, the maritime space is one of the most interesting spaces. Uh, uh, it's international in nature; it's so important, and of the important industries, it's probably the uh, the less understood, least understood. Well, so yeah, tell me a little bit about what Moran Shipping does, and also a little bit about Moran Cyber as well. Sure. Uh, so Moran Shipping is the largest uh, independently owned uh, shipping company uh, in in, uh, in North America. Um, we have many maritime related businesses. Our core business, which has been around since 1937, is called Ship Agency. And that is um, essentially serving as the general contractor of a port call. So ship owners will hire Moran Shipping to coordinate every aspect of their port call. So if there is a vessel coming into Providence, Rhode Island with jet fuel for TF Green Airport, uh, Moran will handle all of the Coast Guard requirements, Customs and Border Protection, hire all the vendors that are associated with that port call, the pilots, the tugs, the lines, uh, vessel repairs, deliveries, uh, bringing the crewmen to uh, the, the hospital. There's a multiplicity of services, like a general contractor handles a project, we are the general contractor for that port call, and we handle um, over 5,000 of those port calls in the U.S. Uh, each each year, and about 20,000 uh, port movements. It's a, it's a it's a wonderful uh, wonderful business. And our headquarters, we have sister headquarters, one in Providence, Rhode Island, and one in Houston, Texas, and we have 16 brick and mortar. Um, Offices around the U.S. Uh, you know, in all the major uh, port cities, we handle over a hundred ports, and we also have international offices in uh, in London and Piraeus, Greece. Cool. And tell me a little bit about uh, Moran Cyber. How did that uh, come? Sure. About? So, uh, you know, with with tech disruption and with the need to diversify in all industries, it, uh, Moran Cyber is the same, and excuse me, Moran Shipping is the same. We, um, we've often, because we're a smaller company, uh, we, we are less than uh, uh, 200 employees. We probably have close to 500, if you 
include contractors. But we have a lot of different uh, you know, support businesses. And one of the most exciting is a new startup division called Moran Cyber, which uh, is uh, you know, a company that helps secure uh, the safety of, of vessels uh, and, and her crew. Uh, protect marine terminals, uh, protecting life and uh, the environment uh, and property. And, you know, all of the systems on ships, uh, like propulsion and and ballast water and waste management, uh, navigation, all of those uh, systems were built on proprietary technologies, never thinking about security. They call that the, uh, the operational technology. And when the Internet of Things came along and connected the ship, to all of those systems, it was wonderful for the ship owner and for us looking at those ships. But the convergence of the of the IT and the OT created really unique um, risks for vessels. And so our team specializes our cyber engineers in um, you know assisting uh, with, with making those vessels and marine terminals uh, safer. Cool. Well, so before we get deep into things, um, you know, obviously it's hard to talk about any industry these days without touching on um, all the different ways that COVID-19 is impacting it. Can you tell me a little bit about first how uh, the pandemic has affected Moran specifically, but also how you think it'll um, kind of affect the maritime world more broadly? Yeah, you know, over 90% of the world's goods that are shipped go on vessels. And so it just really, I think, uh, underscores how important uh, the transportation industry and shipping in particular is to the global economy. So any disruption is, has, has huge impacts. And so I guess I put them in two categories. One are like, what are the immediate day-to-day impacts? And then what are the impacts that we're likely to see, you know, moving forward uh, in legacy fashion? So as, you know, as the, um, you know, the general contractor of the port call, we have to ensure that the vessels that are, we were, <clears throat> we were uh, designated an essential business. Uh, so our employees were allowed to, you know, around the country, uh, even with curfews, you know, go out and, and meet and meet with the vessels. And, uh, and there, there was a lot of pressure put on the Coast Guard and Customs and Border Protection to ensure that this process happened safely. And each port is different. So for Moran, even though the Coast Guard provides a certain framework of new regulations, each port is allowed to interpret them differently depending on the needs of that port. So uh, there was, there's so much predictability generally in doing business in U.S. ports from a regulatory standpoint. And when COVID hit, it was just uh, a, lot of, a lot of confusion. And that's really where my company excels because we were able to help you know, understand all the local nuances. Uh, crew changes, for example, is, you know, a critical part of uh, keeping uh, maritime foreign commercial vessels moving, you know, in and out. And of course, there was a lot of concern about vessels coming from a certain group of you know, countries. And so they were quarantined, vessels were being quarantined. Uh, you know, even now, uh, we can we can sign people on vessels, new crewmen in many ports, but in many ports you still can't sign them off. And so, you know, from a day to day standpoint, there's a tremendous amount of uh, logistical coordination and problem solving that that needs to go on to ensure that these vessels are delayed as minimally as as possible. What What are some of the more, I guess, innovative responses you've seen among maritime com- maritime companies, uh, kind of in re- 
response to, I mean, not just to COVID-19, but obviously we're having a big oil glut issue also right now, right? Well, yeah, there, I mean, there was so many, uh, you know, each sector within the maritime space was impacted differently. So, for example, when the Chinese factories shut down in, in January, uh, you know, we just saw the container trade tank, uh, you know, incredible, uh, you know, reductions in, uh, in vessels coming between, you know, which is the majority of the vessels for the West Coast coming. And then, of course, that led to a, a lack of space and a demand for those companies that were importing and, and exporting. Uh, the cruise ship industry, as, as you can imagine, has been heavily impacted. Uh, you know, multi-billion dollar companies uh, are, you know, are scrambling uh, you know, essentially because of the risks that are associated with, uh, you know, uh, with, with cruise ships and with, and with virus uh, transmission. So here in New England, uh, we see a lot of fossil fuels coming into ports, jet fuel for the airport, reformulated gasoline for people's cars. I mean, there were, there were no vessels. There were, no, there were really no flights leaving uh, Logan at one point and TF Green. So a huge reduction in the amount of uh, fossil fuels coming into the area. Uh, you know, some of the larger projects, the offshore wind projects, uh, so, saw delays as well. Uh, we we saw, uh, you know, an increase in, in, uh, in some uh, um, imports of liquor and food and, and building yeah. supplies and, and recreational uh, vehicles. So, you know, you see some aberrations that are, that are uh, you know, underscoring some of the cultural uh, changes and the needs that are happening in, uh, you know, in, in the shipping side. Uh, you know, also some incredible applications um, of, like, uh, data analytics. I mean, there's been a huge, like, in, you know, igniting uh, research and data analytics and, and dashboards and visualization models, you know, trying to help understand the impacts of, of COVID, um, you know, port-based risk score models, and we've been we've been involved in in a lot of that, and uh, so those are you know those are, r- risks to vessels or risks to cargo or or kind of movement. Well, I, I think it's risks, for example, associated with whether you can get your vessel, you know, in and out in Boston, for example, which excuse me, in uh, New York, which was an epicenter for the virus. Uh, no hotels are open, no transportation, you know, all of these factors are, you know, plugged into algorithms and, and, and then also what, you know, ports are available and, you know, to synthesize maybe a report card for an owner and saying, you know, this is, you know, maybe not a great place to be, uh, you know, sending your product. Maybe it should go to Canada and then truck down or, you know, find another creative solution. Um, you know, our, our sister company, uh, JF Moran, which is a custom broker freight forwarder, and it's important to understand the importance of the entire supply chain. Uh, you know, they, they've just, they, they love solving problems and they, they've done some incredible, uh, you know, creative things. And uh, the, the president of that company told me just this morning that, you know, a lot of the newer people who were, you know, so focused on doing things in one way with one technology to kind of understand and go old school and understand the basics of this to come up with creative solutions. And I, so, you know, paradoxically, you know, sometimes technology doesn't help you out. At the same time, uh, there is a startup called uh, CoLoadX, which is kind of like the travel velocity of, uh, of freight forwarders. And, and, th- and that service, uh, you know, became more important 
important to uh, JF Moran because of the fact that there was so little cargo, uh, so little space available, and the air freights were so high. So, you know, new innovation was helping mitigate some of the challenges of, of COVID. Well, so, you know, going off of that, um, let's talk a little bit about Sea Ahead and kind of your involvement there. You know, what's the thinking behind the group? How did you initially connect with Mark and Alyssa, Mark Wang and Alyssa Peterson? Um, and how does that work dovetail with kind of your main capacity? <clears throat> sure. Well, I like to joke that, you know, I was the youth movement when I came to the company and I always liked technology. And I think I helped the leadership of the company, you know, come into a new age, the Internet of Things and, you know, and other digital uh, innovations. And now at 53, you know, I'm no longer the, I'm no longer the youth movement. And, and, I, and I know that I needed to kind of look outward to innovate. And I think many companies, uh, Deloitte had a great piece on that. You know, they, this notion of open innovation, not just looking internally, but looking externally for innovation, looking in academia, looking in the startup community. So, you know, for me, I, you know, I met Mark Wong and Alyssa Peterson, uh, my two brilliant partners, and, and we, you know, we recognized that there was a real value proposition for the maritime industry to connect legacy companies with startups uh, that would assist them, like it does Moran, um, to help, um, you know, mitigate some of the challenges that tech disruption is providing, as well as create new commercial opportunities. So, um, you know, we're delighted that we just passed our first year mark uh, for our startup program, and we have over 35 startups. And you know, as, as one example in, in shipping, um, you know, it's, it's great that we provide a carbon efficient way to transport when compared to trucking and air. But uh, the International Maritime Organization, you know, reported that 2.2% of the man-made carbon emissions come from ships. So we've got, you know, huge carbon emission and greenhouse gas problems. We're transporting invasive species in, in ballast water. We're, we're hitting whales. There are huge ocean sustainability issues that are impacted by by shipping. And you know, I my belief was that we can't in, uh, we can't regulate our way out of these problems. Where these these intractable problems are really only going to be solved by innovation. And and I I saw through you know through the assistance of Mark and Alyssa and other stakeholders that the startup community was going to be the, the best place to, to connect to those, to those opportunities. So, you know, going on that, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting as I sort of gained sector knowledge um, about the shipping industry was that it seems like in shipping and also in fishing, um, you know, a lot of companies are operating in basically the same way they had for like many centuries. Um, and it seems like tech is sort of a, adopted grudgingly and kind of, uh, you know, for the most part, legacy companies resist change. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it's like trying to innovate in that kind of an environment where in, in an industry that has, you know, been around for such a long time and not necessarily um, spurred to change, you know, at the forefront. Yeah, this, this is a much uh, written about and talked about topic. Uh, the maritime industry is a very insular uh, industry. And while it's not rocket science, it's extremely complicated with many levels. And there aren't a lot of people who, who you know, fully understand it. We all, you know, I always joke that, you know, I worked for the family company for three years before I understood really what services that we were providing. And I think that part of that kind of that unique ecosystem uh, uh, you know, based on relationships and time true procedures and work instructions, uh, you know, creates a resistance 
uh, to, to innovate. Now, that's not across the entire spectrum of ship owners. If you look at Scandinavian ship owners, and some of the great ones are, you know, are Norwegian and, uh, you know, Dutch and, and, and Danish companies, they have, you know, really robustly embrace innovation in particular as it is associated with some of those ocean sustainability problems that we've had and uh, and, and other shipping communities I think the United States uh, we, we still have uh, you know ships uh, although not what we had before uh, an American flag and I think that there's a realization we're not as, as far ahead as many of the Europeans but that we need to embrace this technology whereas other shipping communities and I won't name my my client friends and, and call them out uh, are very resistant to uh, this type of technology uh, adoption. Is it because they feel that they'll lose something kind of in the process or lose some control or it's where it's about sort of kind of, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I think it really depends on the technology that you're, that you're looking at. I, so for example, there's a, there's a resistance among the seafarer community for autonomous vessels. So it's not hard to understand that with new technologies coming out like sea machines out of Boston, which is looking at autonomous technology, there's a fear that the mariner's job will be displaced uh, or eliminated or, or dumbed down that, uh, you know, that simply that the skills won't be required, that the technology will be doing, doing everything. Uh, then there are other uh, people associated with, you know, commodity trading and, and logistics efficiencies that love the notion of the digitalization of shipping and, and how that's going to impact their ability to have higher profits. So a lot of what we do as agents uh, is very, uh, you know, hands-on and, and physical. For example, in order to, to clear a vessel through, through customs, you go on the vessel, you take off, you know, certain documentation, you bring it to the customs house, you know, you go back you can see that there's a, a risk for our industry to see our services diluted by some of these technologies that might replace some of what we do. At the same time, these same digital disruptions have provided opportunities for our company as we have moved into new areas like maritime security and uh, uh, ballast water management or, uh, or maritime cyber like I discussed before. Sure. So, you know, uh, one of the things that we've also been talking about is kind of the, how the Northeast is becoming kind of a super sector. And that, I guess that's one of the theses behind See Ahead and also really about behind the uh, Blue Economy podcast from here in Rhode Island. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of the, the value of having a maritime or, you know, blue tech super sector um, in, you know, in this region and kind of what... You'd also put together, I believe, a list of 12 reasons to get excited about the ocean economy as specific to Rhode Island. That was a, a, like a pre-COVID uh, a plan. But if, if there are any pieces from that that you think would be uh, still out. Uh, Yeah, well, I, you know, we, if you study maritime history, you know, everyone knows that in the 1700s and the 1800s, the Norwegians created all of these non-traditional relationships, these disparate relationships within the maritime community. So insurance companies talking to to owners, talking to receivers. And they really had what was a cluster, a maritime cluster. They didn't call it that then. That's what it would be called now. And this notion of one plus one equals five that the Norwegian sees so brilliantly uh, created a foundation for them to 
you know, to dominate, uh, you know, ship ownership for hundreds of years. And, and they, they, they still, you know, along with Greeks and, and, the, and the Chinese, you know, you know, great leaders in that, in that space. And, and we at Moran, you know, saw in the United States and Southern California with the rise of the Maritime Alliance, uh, incredible uh, things happening uh, in maritime clusters. And in the, you know, the Economist did an incredible report that showed that the synergies that happen in the maritime space are actually larger multipliers than in other uh, clusters because of advanced materials and technology and, and digitization. Uh, so, you know, we, we saw at Moran an opportunity that to, uh, to similarly, you know, galvanize a, a blue economy, a blue tech cluster in, in the Northeast. Uh, you know, we have as many, if not more, uh, blue economy assets uh, than, 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 you know, most, most places in the world. We have a, you know, in Rhode Island, we have a robust defense sector. We have shipbuilding. We have ports and shipping. We have the ocean sciences. We have offshore wind. Uh, you know, all, you know, connecting these, uh, you know, you know, connecting these, these stakeholders in new ways uh, had huge potential. It was taking, you know, land technology and applying them to, to ocean problems for the first time. And, I, you know, Boston is such a hub for innovation, uh, you know, MIT being kind of the, you know, the real uh, engine for, for that. And it was just the perfect place for, for Sea Ahead. Uh, we've partnered with the Cambridge Innovation Center, which is, you know, the largest, you know, global community of startups. And we're assisting them with uh, you know, creating a, uh, a, a blue tech cluster within their ecosystem. So they've, they've opened up in Providence and, and they've got offices and, and other areas that are big maritime spots like Miami and, uh, and Rotterdam. Uh, so, you know, we, we feel that as Moran looks at our legacy company and how we want to diversify more into the blue economy, that, you know, the Northeast is an incredibly important ecosystem to do that. And, and you know, it's not, it's not that our core business is going away. Uh, we couldn't do all of these new businesses, whether it's cyber or maritime security or ballast water or, you know, bunker testing, but for standing on the shoulders of, of Moran Shipping, our ship agency, uh, and being experts in all these new areas makes us a better agent. So it's really a symbiotic relationship and I think a great strategy for our company. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the, on the Blue Economy podcast, Jason. And uh, it's a pleasure getting to hang out with you a little bit more. And, uh, uh, and we're going to cut this last little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's been a pleasure, uh, you know, to be, to be part of this. I'm so excited that the, you know, the governor of Rhode Island has, um, uh, you know, put some resources behind, uh, you know, getting the information, get, getting the word out as to the capabilities that we have here in, in the Northeast and, 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 and really, really, really catalyze, um, you know, economic development and, and opportunities for ocean sustainability in our, in our region. Thanks, David. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you for listening to the Blue Economy podcast presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thanks again to Moran Shipping's Jason Kelly for taking the time. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. And if you'd like to learn more about the show or catch up on past episodes, visit our website at www.blueeconomypodcast.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. From Providence, Rhode Island, I'm David Hirschman. See you next time.